All righty, we are on to the next chapter of our Four Kings of Boxing Boxing History podcast. That's a lot to say. <laughs> chapter five is Sugar Ray Leonard versus Roberto. He once punched out a horse, Duran, one and two. We will get to three at a later date. And of course, joining me on this journey, this one he has all to himself. He doesn't have to share space with Chris Bailey. <laughs> this is his baby. Ladies and gentlemen, the punchy pugilist. Pat Mullen, how do you do, sir? I never mind sharing space with Chris Bailey, to be fair. But, you know, this is going to be fun. We're finally at the meat and potatoes of this series. We've introduced you to all of our four principles. Now they're going to stand across the ring from each other. They're going to get into it. We're going to talk about the fights. We're going to talk about the lead up, the aftermath, everything that's going on at the time. This is exciting. I'm so up for this. Yeah, man, let's get into this. Um, Sugar Ray Leonard is 27-0 and 0, uh, when, he, uh, when he has the title. And there are people calling for him to fight. And this is a quote from the 30 or 30 you made me watch. Fight somebody, anybody, but somebody. <laughs> and that somebody ended up being Roberto Duran. So tell me about that. So we kind of talked about the political sphere as it was involved, where we thought we were potentially going to get a match between Leonard and the WBA champion, Pepino Cuevas, which doesn't happen uh, because of WBC maneuvering to get Duran, who had moved up as the lightweight champion of the world to welterweight and fought a couple of, you know, he really fought one really good welterweight contender, and that was former champion Carlos Palomino, and fought a couple of no-namers and didn't look particularly great while doing it. He won a couple of decisions over guys that people assumed he should have finished. So there was some question about whether the hands of stone were still made of stone. Um, and Leonard, even though he had beaten Benitez, who was a boxing prodigy and had tremendous ability, was known for not training and not taking things all that seriously at times when he should. So there, there was a very, there's very much, even though Sugar Ray is the seven up kid and yeah, he's an Olympic gold medalist and this is great. The, the hardcore principles really felt like he hadn't fought somebody that gave him the level of being deserving of the standing he had, you know, being fighter of the year for 1979, whereas Duran was voted fighter of the 1970s, the whole decade. Um, mm -hmm. And it carved out that niche with, you know, you bring up Leonard was 25 or 27 and 0, 18 knockouts. Duran was 71 and 1 with 56 knockouts. Mm -hmm. Duran had more knockouts than Leonard had had fights to this point. Right. And so the Rodney Dangerfield of boxing, Roberto Duran. <laughs> <laughs> but even with that, when this fight was made, mm -hmm. the odds makers favored Leonard pretty heavily. The sure. initial odds for this fight are nine to five in favor of Leonard. And the reasons being because Leonard is the naturally larger man. He's about three to four inches taller. He has a five-inch reach advantage. He's perceived to have faster hands in addition to being the bigger guy when usually the smaller guy is perceived to be faster. And, you know, he fights very much out of the alley school of maximizing your advantages and minimizing the disadvantages. And, you know, the thought was that Duran, as great as he was, is a blown-up lightweight. And he's not going to be competitive with a real welterweight at his peak the size of Leonard, who's really going to come out there and do what he wants to do and just box him. And when Sports Illustrated did their official poll of, of 10 men, the final tally was seven for Leonard, two for Duran, and one for an abstention because Arthur McCanty was still hoping to be named the referee for the fight and didn't want to tip his hand. Okay. The interesting thing about this fight to me was how much, um, you know, Sugar Ray Leonard is sort of named as a spiritual successor to Muhammad Ali in the, like, the guy of boxing. You know, the, the guy everybody knows, casual people, the superstar. Um, and then 
even within that sphere and certainly within the boxing sphere itself, they are looking for him just to have a great competitive fight. No one wanted to see Sugar Ray lose. You know, they wanted, they, again, this guy was sort of the successor in a lot of ways, even though he's in a different weight class to Muhammad Ali. I mean, as we talked about before, this is the decade where the heavyweight uh, division is in shambles. So really all the focus is on this division for the most part. And <laughs> as you pointed out, Roberto Duran had been around for a while. So everyone's just like the, sort of the pre-fight uh, psychology amongst fans and commentators was, yeah, Roberto Duran will give Sugar Ray a good fight, but surely our man, Sugar Ray, the 7-Up Kid, will come out the victor. And that's not what happened. <laughs> no. And and going into that, Duran knows this. And mm -hmm. Duran, who... You know, even though he's not known as super mainstream, although he's, you know, he's made an appearance in Rocky II as the sparring partner for Sly and that. And the, the boxing hard, the, the boxing public knows Duran. They know this guy is arguably the best pound for pound fighter in the world. Right. And even though he's coming up, you know, the lightweight Duran was was a killer. He was a, a he was mas macho. There was he was the manliest of the men and he was a lion with boxing gloves on. But again, there's the thought of not only that, but coming into this, this the seven up kid Sugar Ray and nice smile and photogenic. And, and you got Duran with the coming eyes off the of Olympics. Like, he had just come off the Olympics, uh, which is where this fight takes place at the yes. uh, Olympic Stadium in Montreal, Canada. I mean, like this is this is clearly being set up as a great showcase fight for Sugar Ray Leonard. Yeah, kind of kind of almost like a full circle homecoming type thing. Right. Um, you know, where he started and where he's gonna end up, and then and, you know, Duran's not oblivious to this, and neither is his team. Mm -hmm. So he really embellishes the black hat role in this mm -hmm. and we does some things that you wouldn't normally see done, and you just certainly don't really see done anymore. Mm -hmm. So at one point, Leonard's sister, Sharon, who had gone up to Montreal with, with the family and everything to, for the fight, Duran sees her in the street and gave her the finger. Just for no reason, just gave her the finger. And then what he did was he had a spy from his camp, much the way Leonard would always send out a spy to other people's camps to see how they were training. Mm -hmm. He sent a spy out to find out whenever Leonard's wife was leaving to go somewhere so that he could find out where she was going, approach her on the street and say, I kill your husband, bitch. I kill your husband, you whore. <laughs> and just really push every manhood button that you right. can on Ray. Getting into Ray's head. Yeah, and Ray's always said that if Benitez was his introduction to psychological warfare, Duran is where he got his PhD. Sure. Because this stuff went on and on, and, Dur and Duran is doing this psychological crap to try to get Leonard to fight his type of fight. He wants Leonard in his face. He wants him to fight and stand, right. and fight like a man. Yep. And on top of that, you know, Duran isn't fond of training at this point. Duran, Duran's been a world champion now for almost a decade. He's made mm -hmm. a lot of money, not as much as he's about to make, but he's made a good amount of money. And the wolf climbing the hill is always hungrier than the wolf sitting on top of it. And Duran's on top of it right now. Right. He's about to get his career biggest payday, but he doesn't want to train. So every morning, Freddie Brown, the real-life Mickey Goldmill, threatens him to go home, that he's going home and he's leaving. And Duran can fight this fight himself until Duran rushes out of bed and says, no, Freddie, I run, I run, I run. <laughs> and what resulted is, for the most part, Duran being in the best shape of his career – for the guy who was going to be the most difficult fight he's ever going to see to this point. Mm -hmm. And it, it's funny because 
you have all these factors coming into play. Leonard with the public workouts, Durant with the public workouts. And one guy is very specifically being painted as the bad guy. One is the good guy. But Durant got to Montreal first mm-hmm. out of these two. And what he did was just charm the entire you know city of Montreal by wearing a Bonjour Montreal t-shirt and inviting people to his workouts and mm-hmm. just having a blast while he was there wearing his Mickey Mouse knit cap from Disneyland Canada and the people just kind of loved him because he was just <laughs> open with them. And even though he was doing this stuff, they were like, ah, that's just Roberto. <laughs> it's so good because, like, you look at the Sugar Rays and the Muhammad Ali's of the world and and you think, okay, well, you can either be kind of a Joe Frazier or George Foreman and be a dick and everyone will hate you. Or you can – or two can play at that game. And Roberto is playing it better than Sugar Ray, who I think comes across as a bit entitled – um, in the sense that, like, no, 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 I'm the good guy. I'm the one that everyone's supposed to. Look. Hey, <laughs> you know, he does not see Roberto coming mentally or physically, and boy, does that come out in this fight. So, uh, this is the brawl in Montreal, and it's contested between obviously the WBC uh, ring and lineal champion Sugar Ray Leonard, and then of course Roberto Duran. And it took place on June 20th, 1980 at the aforementioned Olympic Stadium in Montreal, Canada. Um, so I think Montreal is still trying to pay off the debt for building that thing. <laughs> uh, okay, so some notes here. On May 9th, 1980, the highly anticipated fight between the undefeated reigning WBC, WBC champion Sugar Ray Leonard and former undisputed lightweight champion and then number one ranked welterweight contender Roberto Duran was announced. The bout was to take place a little over a month after its official announcement, which is really weird. Can we just stop there for a second? Why did they book it so soon? So the the fight had been in the works for about two months prior before they officially got the contracts and everything put away. Mm-hmm. Largely what this is stemming from is the fact that you have two very different promoters in play. Okay. Duran at the time is promoted by Don King. Leonard at the time doesn't have a true promoter of record. But based on prior deals, the promoter of record for his next fight was to be Bob Arum of Top Rank. Bob Arum and Don King are probably the only people who would have found it more difficult to negotiate a a peace treaty between them than Israel and Palestine. (laughs) Uh, And and in point of fact, what they did in this fight was that when they set the undercard up, Arum basically stole the entirety of the undercard and made it his fighters. And being showcased, and one of them who we talked about briefly in the heavyweight card, Big John Tate, who mm-hmm. was Aaron's hope for a world heavyweight title, um, is on, is the featured undercard act against the Canadian heavyweight named Trevor Burbick. King's people, once they found out about that they weren't getting a piece of the undercard, sent Burbick the best sparring possible and gave him reports from John Tate's camp. So, of course, Burbick knocks out John Tate and just screws Aaron royally. Um, <laughs> well played, Mr. King. The, um, the, but, the fight that everyone should have gotten was Don King versus Bob Arum. We should. We should. <laughs> um, yeah, think of them as like McMahon and Bischoff. Like it's, sure. it's that bad. Um, yeah. But th- th- there's going to be only two fights they ever co-promote in history together. The, this one and this one until De La Hoya Trinidad, de- uh, you know, almost two decades later. Um, but the, because of the political maneuvering between them, the involvement of Jose Suleiman and the WBC, who were the sanctioning body, to get everything finalized on paper took forever. The guys were pretty much already understanding, we're training for this fight. This is happening. But it just took mm-hmm. that time to get the ducks in a row legally to actually get it on paper. Gotcha. Mike Trainer, Leonard's main guy, said he was on a plane between King and Aram, and they refused to actually speak to each other and would only speak to Trainer to say, tell him, tell him 
it's always a good sign that your negotiations are going well when it's can you tell Don that we want these items in the contract? Will you tell Bob Aram to sit and spin? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> about how it went. <laughs> Going into the fight, both Leonard and Duran were two of the top fighters in the sport. Leonard was a perfect, as we mentioned, 27-0, and it captured the WBC welterweight title the previous December after knocking out future Hall of Famer Wilfred Benitez, and then made a successful first defense against Davy Boy Green. I believe we talked about this in the previous episode in March of 80. Duran had recently completed a six-year run. How six years as the champion um, puts him in what grouping of people? I mean, you know, Duran's often called the greatest lightweight champion of all time. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's not necessarily for the length of the run, mm -hmm. but for the quality of opposition during that run, the dominance during that run, and kind of the untouchable factor during that time. And he also unify the division during that time uh, against guys who would have been probably longstanding reigning champions had he not been there. And sometimes that's the best mark of a champion is that you sure. know that there are guys there who are great, but they mm -hmm. just never climb that mountain because there's the guy standing in their way. And that was right. Durant. Right. That was the, that was the whole Ali thing in the sixties. Um, so he had completed a six year run as lightweight champion, moving up to welterweight where he compiled an eight and zero record before facing Leonard. So, I mean, he really was the guy at this point. There was no other fight to make. The fight was set to be the highest grossing in boxing history and both Leonard and Duran were to make the biggest paydays in their careers. <laughs> hey, this should sound familiar. And somewhere out there, Marvin Hagler is, you know, just banging his head into the wall, wherever he may be in this uh, universe. Nine million for good old Sugar Ray. And 1.5 million for, for Roberto Duran. Gee, I wonder why in this fight Roberto Duran looks like he's going to murder Sugar Ray. I will take the remaining 7.5 million dollars out of your ass, sir. I yeah, believe it's what I he mean, said to him in the ring. I mean, that's the thing when when they're doing the walkups and and they have Duran kind of bouncing and getting ready mm -hmm. and he's bobbing and he's doing all this stuff. One of the sports writers, I forget who, is sitting next to Joe Frazier at ringside and. Says to Joe, hey, Joe, does that remind you of anybody, you know, acting as the, you know, because that's how Joe would get in. Joe's bouncing and he's on, you know, he's shadow boxing and he's getting ready to go in there and dig in. And Joe actually pauses and thinks for a minute, not realizing he's being referenced. And he says, Charles Manson. <laughs> it's always a good sign to start the fight. So this almost doesn't happen. Uh, prior to the bout, Leonard and Durant both receive health scares. Durant undergoes a two-hour heart exam after his EKG revealed an abnormality in his heartbeat. A cardiologist was called in and determined that the abnormality was common in a well-trained athlete, and Duran was cleared to fight. Yeah, Leonard, the cardiologist they called in flew in on General Omar Torrijos' private jet from Panama. Torrijos, at this point, is the dictator of Panama. Oh, I see. He's fine. Fine. He's good. <laughs> that about right? <laughs> um, okay. Uh, Leonard, meanwhile, uh, claimed that he had been stricken with a virus Though his trainer said if he had a virus, it wasn't that bad or would have uh, or we would have heard of it. All right. So so let's talk about this 15 round fight that goes to a decision. Pat, let me I, I watched it this morning and my my brief observations and then I'll let you kind of take over was and they talked about this in the commentary too. Roberto Duran successfully did two things, successfully got Sugar Ray Leonard to stand in the ring and punch with him, nullifying his ability to work his reach and his um, back foot defense. So they're in the phone booth where Roberto Duran wants him to be. And Roberto Duran lays, I mean, all credit in the world of Sugar Ray. He took some hard-ass punches from Roberto Duran, punches that would have knocked down a, a lesser man. 
So no, no taking anything away from Sugar Ray. He just wasn't the better man in this fight. But Roberto Duran beats him up. Like, he lays in some hard punches. Sugar Ray can't get away from him, and he doesn't really try. And he's trying to go toe-to-toe with Roberto Duran, and it does not work. No. You know, Customato pretty much nailed the prediction in this fight and Mm -hmm. said, I'm picking Duran because if Duran has the willpower to apply his skill set and make it his fight, he'll win. And that's pretty much exactly what happened. Through the psychological ploys and then – through Duran's brilliant infighting because it's not just the beating that he gives Leonard in in certain instances. It's a lot about what he can do inside that other guys can't, where his defense inside is so smart and he's able to just manipulate your body and feel where you're coming with a punch where he can just move his head just an inch and you've missed completely. And he tears into your body with counter shots or the way that even at long range, he's able to move his head very deftly because he can read your rhythm based on where your feet are and can see things coming that guys shouldn't be able to see coming. And and Leonard, to his credit, has his moments in that phone booth. There's times where Leonard just stands his ground and lets his hands go, and he's able to back Duran off at a couple points. But it's not until way too late in the fight that he kind of really figures out why Duran is so good inside, where Duran is able to use his hands and hand fight. And Duran can use an underhook and then spin you which way he wants you to or manipulate your hand where now he's got your underhook. Your instinct is to tear your head away, but now you're going to his free hand where he's going to club you with it. And little stuff like that and infighting is so brilliant the way he does it. It's it's all An MMA fan will recognize it as basically dirty boxing tenants. And on top of that, he does things where he'll, he'll put his head to your chest. And once he feels you move off, he knows where he's safe and you're not. And it's little brilliant stuff like that that eventually Leonard does catch on to later in the fight and understand I can't win this fight inside. I have to try to fight at mid-range. But he's gotten so beaten up and and is so physically drained at that point, he's not able to do it as effectively as he would like. And even at mid-range, Duran is able to do things like throw a feint out there and use it to step in and change his stance. So now he can bring Leonard closer to him and cut the ring off more effectively. And... Leonard has his rounds in this fight. There's times where Leonard, as the bigger man, asserts himself and puts Duran against the ropes and lets his hands go and is able to pop off some good right hands. There's one, I think it's in, uh, it might have been the ninth or tenth round, where he really catches Duran on the way down and chops him with a right hand. And Duran kind of just slows completely at that point. And a lot of the ferocity is out of his attack for the rest of the round. But it's really one of the more impressive displays from a, a guy who is completely kind of outgunned on paper. Mm-hmm. but is able to just do everything he can to manipulate the fight in his favor and fight his fight and force it out of his opponent. And in a loss where Leonard in this loss gains a lot more credibility with people than he did in the majority of his wins, because he stood there and fought toe to toe with the baddest man on the planet at this point in time. And he didn't go down. He didn't quit. He didn't get knocked out. If he was hurt, he stood there and tried to take it and fight through it and did what he could in a, I don't think it's as close as people make it out to be on the scorecards, to be honest, and mm-hmm. certainly not the official scorecards. We have guys scoring 10 rounds even. Um, I, I didn't get that vibe out of it. I definitely think it's a clear Duran victory, but I think Leonard underscored himself as a fighter and as a man in this that he never got the credit for before this fight. And I think that that might have helped his psyche afterward in this but it also was one of those things where he took such a pummeling in this fight like he had never seen in anything he'd done 
Whereas his initial attitude afterwards was, man, I don't, I don't think I deserve to get beat up like this. And he contemplated retirement. It's interesting. Um, I feel like as an athlete, sometimes you need to have this kind of competition. You need, you know, he says, I don't deserve to be beaten up. You know, that, I, that's, that's an entitlement statement. But I do think you need to get beaten up like this every once in a while to kind of, rem if you don't have any kind of adversity, you don't learn anything new. You just keep doing what you've been doing. And eventually someone's going to figure that out. More people will figure it out and you'll just lose consecutively. Yeah. So I think for Sugar Ray's le legacy, losses, especially for a highly competitive athlete, is a hard thing to take. But this was a necessary loss and certainly one that I think demanded a rematch. If nothing else, this was probably one of the most exciting fights I've seen in, in, the, in the between the history of heavyweight boxing series we did and the four previous chapters we've done on this. This is an outstanding fight. One of the best. Yeah. The, the pace is unbelievable for 15 rounds. They go at this mm -hmm. pace and the energy level. And, and it's, it's not as though it's just a wild woolly brawl. There's so much technical uh, knowledge that gets dropped between both guys mm -hmm. in this, where Leonard does start figuring out Duran's hand fighting ploys and then starts using his feet and using the middle of the ring to try to get, turn that advantage his way. Or figuring out, like, once Duran's shifting his head positioning, okay, he's going to be here. I can tag him on the way out. You know, and we already talked about Duran's, you know, kind of stick, sticky finger fighting on the inside and then turning it into, you know, a guessing game where, okay, your head's here, my hand's here, here we go, boom. And just ripping off those counters with his shift steps and everything. It's boxing at its highest level, but at its most exciting level at the same time. And that's what really right. makes a great, great fight is when you have all those elements coming together. And on top of that, you have it between the two biggest superstars, you know, that you do in this fight mm -hmm. with almost perfect records between them. They've got almost a hundred wins together, you know, one loss that's been twice avenged. It, it's, it's everything coming together that you would hope for in a super fight where you, you, you got the principles you need, the environment you need, everything you need. They just have to produce the fight you need. And they did. And it was incredible. And Duran goes 2-0 and on the night because he knocked out Leonard's brother after the fight with a bare hand. It's the best you could want from boxing. And you want, and you want as a fan, most boxing matches to be this. They can't all be like this. Sometimes you have to have a Canelo on his way to unifying the titles. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes you just have to have, you know, you have to have a sloppy brawl, you know, like, there has to be variety or nothing is special, but ultimately I think both boxing fans and casual fans, this is, this is what everybody hopes for when a big time fight gets put on. So just to sort of uh, close out this chapter, uh, this chapter within a chapter, it's a unanimous decision victory. Duran uh, lands and throws more punches for a 35% success rate. Well, Leonard, who abandoned his usual slick boxing style and went toe-to-toe -to -toe with Duran, as we've been talking about, landed 273 for 753. Jesus. Uh, Pat, on average, on average, what, how many punches get thrown in a fight? Not that many. It's <laughs> crazy. You throw 753, the other guy should be dead. <laughs> uh, and yet he wins the fight for a 36% rate. Leonard would make adjustments late in the fight. Duran had built a large enough lead by that point in the fight uh, to win on the scorecards. Um, he would win 145 to 144, 148 to 147, and 146 to 144. And ju just to put the final exclamation point on the po on poor Roberto Duran and his uh, I ain't got I don't get no respect. What was the initial reading of the results, Pat? A majority decision, <laughs> as one scorecard was incorrectly read as a 148 to 148 draw. 
I'm surprised Roberto Duran didn't dive over the ropes to murder that. He that was guy. he was too busy punching Roger Leonard, who rushed him <laughs> after the fight, who he knocked unconscious. Nice. And then grabbing his crotch and pointing at Leonard's family in the front row. What was the line Roberto gave to Sugar Ray? Um, after I'm done with you, I'm gonna bang your wife or something along those at, lines. At the weigh-ins, after I fuck you in the ring, I'm gonna fuck your wife. Awesome. That almost ranks right up there with I'm gonna eat your children. I need these on I TV. thought you were gonna go with more with the if you were gonna go Tyson, I'm gonna fuck you till you love me, faggot. See, well, I mean, that's third. It's I'm gonna <laughs> eat your children. <laughs> after I'm done fucking you, your wife's next, and then I'm gonna fuck you till you love me, faggot. Anyway, if you're a boxer and you're is, is there any is there any surprise at this point that this is the fight where Mike Tyson was like, this is what I want to do, and that's the guy I want to be? Not a not a doubt in my mind. Um, if you're looking for taunts and uh, I'm gonna fuck you, do you love me? Faggot doesn't work for you. Maybe you should try Grammarly. Grammarly's AI power products help people communicate more effectively unlike what Tyson did Grammarly helps you write mistake free on Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn and nearly anywhere else you write on the web Grammarly corrects hundreds of grammar punctuation spelling mistakes while also catching contextual errors improving your vocabulary and suggesting style improvements to download Grammarly today go to getgrammarly.com slash W2M network again that's getgrammarly.com slash W2M network to, to download Grammarly for free my god we worked a Grammarly plug into that sure did <laughs> Um, all right, so I want to talk about Joshua Andy Ruiz for a second because Randy Ruiz wins the titles from Joshua, all but the WBC, which was not on the line at the time. And um, they are set for a rematch in Saudi Arabia. Joshua wants the titles back. The problem with Andy Ruiz is he does not really train for this, and he ends up losing the next fight. And that's our introduction into the next half of this podcast. Roberto Duran, having won the welterweight championship from Sugar Ray and destined for a rematch, chooses to do something a bit odd here, Pat. A bit odd. Decides, meh, with training. I'll just hit him over the head again. It'll be fine. Well, yes and no. Okay. <laughs> so Duran is known at this point in time in boxing circles for after he wins a fight, he's going to live high on the hog for a little while. And... It's not uncommon among guys who grew up in complete poverty. And now that you have all this around you, like, yeah, time to party. Let's go. Yeah, ice cream, champagne, hookers. Let's do it. And that's how Roberto lived. Um, <laughs> not just not just after this fight. He'd kind of been building to this. But now he's gotten his career biggest payday against the face of America. And let's not forget, if you're Panamanian at this point in time, you really hate America for this thing called the Canal Zone. Um and we won't get into that. That's a whole other podcast. Uh, that's an episode of The Right Hook. But um, <laughs> there, wow, you know, yeah, there's there's an there's there's a lot of bad feelings in there. So Duran is the ultimate exuberant at this point, and he's on top of the world, and he's partying in New York, which is his second home basically at this point, where everybody got to know and love him in the first place, and he's just there living the high life and not giving a damn. Whereas Leonard immediately took a vacation to Hawaii with his wife to get away from all this stuff and everything. And he's running on the beach, you know, and like still doing his road work and training as if he's going to fight. And people are saying, hey, Ray, it's okay. You'll get him next time. If you'd have boxed him, champ, you'd have beat him. And then that stuff weighs more and more on Ray's mind. Then he calls Mike Trainer and says, Mike, we need to get this rematch going now. And Mike Trainer's like, Ray, you're on vacation. You don't, don't worry about this. He goes, no, 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 Mike, we need to get it now. He goes, so Mike says, okay, we'll talk about it when you get back from vacation. Ray flies back from vacation two days later because he wants to fight that quick, that bad. Because Ray also knows that Duran has a tendency to blow up between fights 
and you're going to force his hand to have to train when he doesn't want to train and he might come in out of shape or he might come in and not make the weight or something like that. So they put together a huge money deal where Duran's going to get in the neighborhood of eight to $10 million after he just had his career high payday of one and a half million dollars. Carlos Aleda, who's Duran's manager, immediately accepts this. King, who's the promoter of record, is immediately notified. Yeah, we're going to throw this fight together. The deal is worked out that they're going to do this in late September. They had just fought in June. The ideas for this started turning in July. August, they kind of finalized what they want to do. And then September, they kind of notify, hey, the wheels are turning. We've accepted this fight. And Duran's like, are you kidding me? What are you talking about? Because I weigh 190 pounds. And he has to get down to 147 for the fight. It's like what JFK's dad said to him when uh, they decided he they were going to run him for president. Get get the hooker out of your bed, put your pants on, you're running for president. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And again, you brought up Andy Ruiz. The benefit of Andy Ruiz is Andy Ruiz could go in there training and not have to worry about his weight because he's a heavyweight. Right. Roberto ain't got that kind of luck. Roberto's got to get you know close to 40-something pounds off and shed this in a little over a month. And not just shed weight, but actually get in shape to fight. Mm -hmm. You have to actually do training besides just watching what you eat and running the whole time. And he basically, like, is pissed off, tries to get a delay, tries to get all – and Arcel, who never wanted this fight to happen that fast, and Freddie Brown, who knew how bad this they, – they're both telling Aleda, like, how could you do this? And Aleda's like, well, look at the money we're going to get. Don't worry about it. It's fine. If he loses, we'll just get a rematch, which they don't put into the contract. <laughs> but, you know – and, and that'll be a ploy of Leonard's too. But they, this guy who had just been gorging himself and living the high life and letting his pants, you know, rip elastic bands, <laughs> now has to get into shape to not just fight, but fight a guy who he had to basically be in the best shape of his life for to win a competitive fight against. A guy who's now even more motivated this time around because he's he's been beaten and he wants to avenge himself. So you have these factors in place and Roberto just trying to knock the belly off of himself. It's it's not a great situation if you're Duran or in his camp, and you got to realize this. Meanwhile, Sugar Ray changes up his training, starts looking at what happened, acknowledges the fact that he was psychologically beaten before he even got through the ropes, and then opts to correct these things. I think they're telling him on the way to this fight and during this fight, "Hey, taunt Duran. Don't don't let yourself get baited. You do the baiting, and it well, that works tenfold." That's that's that actually came from his brother, Roger. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if Roger, who was good for nothing else, was at least good for that, where Roger understood the mentality of Duran and said, if you if you taunt this guy and you prod him and you you insult him and, and, and his manhood and you make it a, a circus for him, he's going to get he's going to get discouraged. He's not going to get angry. He's going to get discouraged. And Ray in the back of his mind is saying, taunt Roberto Duran. Uh, uh, no, he's going <laughs> to kill me if I do that. Right. Because it had been such a like a thing, you don't you don't want to taunt this guy who's the 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 killer, this this maniac. You right. make him angry. Why do I want to make him angry? No, I don't want him angry. He's already angry. <laughs> but it's something that is going to obviously play hugely in this fight. Right. And the other part of this is that uh, Dave Jacobs, who had been Ray's trainer of record and really oversaw a majority of Ray's camp, split with them before this fight. Um, and a lot of people think of Angelo Dundee as the trainer of Ray, but like we established, Angelo is very similar to Ray Arcel in Duran's camp, where they kind of oversee the strategy that's going to be used, and they mm -hmm. only come in to polish off over the last two, three weeks of camp what, in Duran's case, Freddie Brown 
and Luis Enriquez and Plomo Quinones had started, or in Leonard's camp, what uh, you know, guys like uh, Mike Trainer had overseen as far as the training on the back end, but guys like Ollie Dunlap and, and you know Odell had seen and done there. So Jacobs was out, which was a shame, but it was it was Ray kind of streamlining things and making his camp as good as it could be. And Angelo got a little bit more hands-on and involved. Angelo would normally only show up two weeks. He's showing up three weeks now to make sure Ray's in shape because Ray knows how to train. Mm-hmm. Ray knows what it takes. And it's Angelo's ultimate goal there is strategy, fine-tune, let's get it going. So when Angelo shows up and Ray's already at 160 pounds and it's three weeks before fight time, that's a pretty good margin to be at. And Angelo's like, okay, he's here. He's ready. He's going to do this. All right. So – it's originally billed as the super fight, but everyone knows it as the no moss fight, and we'll talk about why. <laughs> this takes place on November 25th, 1980, in the Superdome in Nolens, where a lot of Mid-South wrestling took place. A lot of Mid-South wrestling took place there. Yes, sir. By the way, the purses for this fight, we went from $11 million, or I'm sorry, $10 million guaranteed from the last one. This one's now a $14 million guarantee. With Duran guaranteed eight million minimum, Leonard guaranteed six million minimum. Wow! So Duran gets the champion share of the purse this time, but there's some concessions along the way, such as when the fight happens, you know, the size of the ring in which the fight happens, mm-hmm. and there's an interesting thing that happens to the ring in this fight too. Go ahead. Uh, what I'm, I'm guessing it was made bigger to benefit Sugar Ray. Yes. But also, during the second round of the fight, the center of the ring starts to sink in. And Bobby Goodman, who's an event coordinator, notices this during the fight. And like, oh, my God, this is going to be bad. Bobby rushes under the ring to try to find this center pole that's holding it together in the ring and gets it. Between rounds, he enlists 12 football players from LSU that he had invited his guests to get the ring stabilized and hold it up. And they did a fantastic job of doing it because to the broadcast, you don't really notice it. All right, so um, the so this thing goes about eight rounds, and I'm going to pitch it back to you to talk about this because really what we need to talk about is the end of this fight. But basically, Sugar Ray goes back to doing what he does best. He makes Roberto Duran chase him. He's able to slip in combinations. Roberto Duran is having difficulty repeating the success that he had in the first fight, and on paper, what's been recorded in history is that in the eighth round, Roberto Duran said, no more, no mas. Take it away, Pat. So we'll go back to the psychological aspect of things a little bit. Mm. Mark, do you know what songs what song was played in the ring to kick off this fight and who sang it? No. It was America the Beautiful by Ray Charles. Ah, yes. They're not singing the Panamanian National Anthem. They're singing America the Beautiful by the guy Sugar Ray Leonard is named after. During the course of that, after the song, Duran's kind of looking like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> he Ray Charles is led over to Sugar Ray Leonard and hugs him and kisses him on the cheek and said, I love you, man. Go kick his ass. You want to talk about like setting a psychological tone and an advantage in place to start with. Right. It's a pretty good place to start. Yeah, this is this is the Daffy Duck Elmer Fudd fight at this and, point with yeah. Roberto Duran as Elmer Fudd. And you watched the No Mas Thirty for Thirty documentary, so you saw mm-hmm. at the weigh-in when Duran had his black cowboy hat on, embracing that image. You also see he's got a thermos with him. 
and he's constantly drinking out of this thermos. He's drinking beef broth out of that thermos because he's so dehydrated from making weight. Right. And Angelo Dundee immediately picks up on this, knowing what's going on. So he's drinking beef broth and he eats two whole oranges before he even leaves the weigh-in. He goes and gorges himself in a press conference meal with two steaks and a bunch of other crap that he just shovels down his throat because he's so emaciated and dehydrated from trying to make this because he'd been taking diuretics, all kinds of crap to get down to the weight limit. And he weighed in at 146, Leonard 146. But Leonard never had a problem making the weight because Leonard stayed in shape. He didn't right. let this success go to his head or lack of success go to his head. He got motivated and got his ass in gear. So in the course of the fight, Leonard definitely starts out differently. One of the things that is immediate that he picked up on from the first fight is that Roberto is a lot of times able to figure out where Ray's going by watching his feet. Mm -hmm. So Ray has to disguise his movement. And what he does is he squares up more, which technically would leave him more vulnerable if Duran's able to get in. And there's points where that happens, but it also makes his movement much harder to guess. And he's going side to side to side to side. And it's one of those things where he figures it out, but he's discouraged because it is he doesn't really hurt Duran or do any damage to him during this point. He just kind of makes him have to chase him a lot, but he doesn't really damage him. So he knows he needs to settle down and start punching a little bit more. So, you know, early on, it's kind of even like I gave, I think I gave Leonard the first two rounds. I gave Duran the third round when he starts to find his rhythm a little bit more and can put more of an effort forth. And then I think it's, I, I gave Leonard four. And then the fifth round is really the turning point of the fight in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Duran is saying that he's weak from the weight cut at this point, and I don't doubt it. But in the fifth round, he really kind of pushes everything he has to go at Ray and really bull rushes him, lowers his head. There's a point where he charges Ray in a corner so hard that he actually knocks Ray off his feet from a charge. And Duran maintains it's a knockdown, but you know it's pretty clear it's his body that knocked Ray down, not a punch. Um, but he really puts forth a hard effort in that round wins the round unanimously on everybody's scorecards. And Ray kind of at that point is like, I got to do something more to this to, to slow him down or stop him. So in the sixth round, Ray kind of sees the rhythm changing and he starts boxing at long range again, but he's not using his jab so much because he knows Roberto's good at timing it. So he's kind of just mixing up his movement. And as soon as he makes a cut, he'll punch and then punch off the cut again and then move and not let Roberto do an underhook, not let him tie him up and move. And in the seventh round, Ray starts to think, I have to actually do some more here. I have to damage him somehow and discourage him more. And the seventh round starts off pretty decent for Duran, actually. He actually has some moments of success getting Ray against the ropes, pinning in there and hitting him. But when Ray starts to go long range, for whatever reason, he goes back to Roger in his head saying, you got to taunt this guy. You got to make him look silly because mm -hmm. that's what he can't take. And Ray starts doing little things, starts sticking his chin out. And making Duran try to lunge at him, and Duran and he's not there, and Ray moves and starts doing that, and he's not he's not doing damage, damage, but he's he's making him in his head start to question things. And the big moment in that round is when Ray winds up with the bolo punch like Apollo Creed <laughs> and pops Duran with a jab from the other side, and the right. entire crowd goes, "Oh, he just did that!" And you could see it was a good hard stiff jab because it snapped Roberto's head back, and Roberto came up with a smile on his face, like, "Okay, motherfucker." <laughs> that this is what you want to do. And then he starts doing little stuff. And in the next round, Ray starts to compound this more and adds in an Ali shuffle after he moves mm -hmm. and is really doing a psych job on Roberto very hard. 
at one point uh, leading up to this, he actually, I think he like, like patted Roberto on the head. Yeah. Like Roberto got him with something. And, and I think it was just as the round was ending and Sugar Ray kind of gives him a, <laughs> aren't you adorable? Aren't and Roberto, and Roberto Duran looks like he just wants to leave at that point. Yeah. Like you, could, you could start to see how all of this has now caused Roberto's psyche, Roberto Duran's psyche to crumble. Oh yeah. Because, because when, because when, Sugar, that's why I'm making a big deal about this. When Sugar Ray touches him on the head, and Sugar Ray's just like, <laughs> we're all having fun here. Roberto Duran's like, I don't even want to be here anymore. Yeah, there's not the response of taking a swipe at him right. from that. And I think that's so calculated in Ray's mind, like, oh, he didn't mm -hmm. he didn't retaliate. Right. He doesn't he doesn't want any more here. He he doesn't want this fight. He doesn't want to be in this fight. But he doesn't, it's not that like I don't want this, I'm beaten. I don't want this. This is embarrassing. This yeah. isn't this isn't what I do. I'm being made, he's clowning me, to, to use a vernacular of modern times. And Roberto's like, no, I, I don't want to be in this ring anymore with this guy. Yeah. And in and, and the eighth round, it's, you know, it's going through the motions again, more of Ray doing the Ali shuffle mm -hmm. and, and this taunting with the chin out and come on, hit me. And and with about 30 seconds left in the round, Duran just looks at him and is like, and he says to the referee, uh, no quiero pelear con un payaso which translates to English, I don't want to fight with this clown anymore. Right. So you use the word clown, and there it is. Bayaso in Spanish is clown. And Octavio Moran, who's Mexican and speaks Spanish, is like completely caught off guard. As <laughs> like, what? Leonard, thinking Duran is screwing with his head, mm -hmm. is like, I'm not buying this, and nor should he have, mm -hmm. and goes in with two good body shots, which Duran covers up, tries to cover up on, and then just waves his head, no, no mas. A lot of people question whether he said no mas. He initially did not say no mas. The exact right. quote was, you know, I no longer wish to fight with this clown. Sure. And then he said, no more boxing. Right. And at that point, Moran said, okay, I have to wave it off. Which if you're, it, look, the first time he says, I don't want to fight with this clown anymore, you shouldn't say things like that in the ring. But one could interpret that as you're just disgusted, not yeah. giving up. When someone's hitting you. In a boxing match, and you say the words no more in Spanish, English, Klingon, or Martian, it's done. You've lost. There's no question at that point. And no explanation in this in the years that follows changes that, which is I, I do want to talk about that because apparently they've somewhat made amends. Sugar Ray went to go talk to him. They talk about that in the, uh, I think it's the 30 for 30. And it's like, okay, but you gave up. You're, you gave up. Whether or not that was your initial intention, he hit you, and you said no more. Yeah, that's, and, that's and, and that's again, you can say whatever you want to say, but you did quit. You quit. Yep. You gave, you gave up. You decided this wasn't the fight you wanted. You didn't want to be in there anymore, and he was better. You quit. Yep. So, and I, I, I think there's two guys: Emmanuel Stewart and Mike Tyson, who I think probably understood Duran's psyche at this moment. And they think that in his mind, by doing that and saying, I'm not here for a clown show, I'm here for a fight. In his mind, he's being macho. This is this mm -hmm. is the act of machismo saying, no, I'm here to fight. I'm not here for this. But Duran had no idea the consequences that would follow and the perception sure. of that with what he was doing to everybody else who saw it. Right. Which, I, look, I can sympathize with that, but you're a professional fighter at the highest level of professional fighting. You, you should know the rules. <laughs> you know? So Leonard, not, and not even the written rules, the unwritten rules that come sure. with that. 
Leonard was the winner by technical knockout at 244 in round eight, and he regains the WBC welterweight championship. Leonard had been leading by a small margin of 68, 66, 68, 66, and 67, 66 on the judges' scorecards at the time of the TKO. So had Roberto Duran had been able to keep his brain together and proceed through the end of this, there's, there's a chance this ends differently. He's but- not... He's not out of the fight, and I no. think that's part of the revisionist history is people think, oh, Leonard was just embarrassing him every round, and he was right. never in this fight, which is not the case. Um, but a, knock, a knockdown at any point, you know, you know, or a slight change in the demeanor of the fight, and he wins this thing again by decision. But yeah. he let Leonard beat him in his mind before he laid a single punch on him. I, I think so. And I, again, knowing the weight situation ahead of time mm-hmm. and Ray is very calculated and we're going to see him dial up that level of calculated through the rest of his career that we cover. Uh, but, but again, I think that certainly was on the table as well. Cause R- Roberto didn't look as strong and as vibrant as he did in the first fight. It does and speak I, to how physiology affects psychology. Oh yeah. If you are a different person when you are full, than you are when you are hungry, dehydrated, tired, and we all know that from dealing with other women. Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying. Actually, I do. No. Uh, <laughs> well, there, there, again, there's the, the great quote, too. Fatigue makes cowards of us all. Sure. And that, of course, is your body affecting your mind in that sense. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't, I don't think, so much fatigue as it was for Duran as it was a combination of, I, I, if I were to break it down, I would say it's 20% the weight cut. Mm-hmm. 80% Ray Leonard psychology and mastery over him in this fight. So Duran, for his part, and we have to give him his say, has said he never said the words no moss to anyone following the bout. He blamed Howard Cosell for coming up with it and claiming he said it. He said that he was only mumbling to himself, uh, Nosigo, 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 meaning I'm not carrying on. He said that he said that he quit because of stomach cramps, which started to bother him in the fifth round. He said the cramps occurred because he took off the weight too quickly, then ate too much the morning weigh-in, as you were talking about before. But his manager, Carlos Aleda, said Duran always ate that way before a fight. So, meh. Um, Duran didn't quit because of stomach cramps. Aleda said he quit because he was embarrassed, which we talked about. Leonard claims credit for having forced Duran to give up, because of course he did, and took great satisfaction in it, because of course he did. I made him quit! Yeah, sure you did, Leonard. Um, to make a man quit, to make Roberto Duran quit was better than knocking him out. Good for you, sugar. I, you uh, know what, though, I, I kind of don't disagree with him there. I, I, I get it, but it's kind of kicking a man when he's down. Yeah, but you know what? If, if a guy had told my wife, I'm gonna fuck you after I fuck your husband, <laughs> I'd probably kick him a couple times when he's down. I, all fairness to that point, yeah. according to Rihanna, uh, Rihanna Walker, he explained that his manager. Panamanian businessman Carlos Aleda made the mistake of scheduling the fight too close after the first fight, not allowing Duran enough time to drop the necessary weight. Well, don't be a fatty, fatty. <laughs> you're, you're the heavy, you're the welterweight champion of the world. How about don't eat ice cream while you're <laughs> in between fights? Just saying. Duran's stature, though this is the best part though. Duran's stature in his home country of Panama took oh. a dramatic dive after the fight. The immediate reaction was shock, followed by anger. What do you mean you quit? He, when he was ordered to come back to Panama, um, you know, his payday, they mm-hmm. had actually given him a tax break in Panama as a mm-hmm. national hero because he was the most known Panamanian in the world. He made them so proud of Panama with what he did in the ring that he was given tax exemptions in certain instances as a national mm-hmm. hero. 
He got back to Panama. That was immediately taken away. So of his $8 million that he received, $2 million was immediately taken away from him in taxes off the top. Um, his mother's house had been vandalized. His house had been vandalized. People threw rocks at him when they saw him in public. They would taunt, they would call him a quitter, a coward. They would say maricon, which in Spanish is the is basically faggot in Spanish. Right. It's a very, very bad word. To, it, and it doesn't, it's not a slur towards a queer person so much as it, as it is saying you're not a man. Right. And when you're saying, you know, that in a very macho, you know, kind of, uh, uh, you know, community and, and consistency, that's about as big an insult as you can throw at somebody. Sure. Um, so, so he went from national hero to the shame of a nation you know, with one sentence, basically. Has he talked about, like, in, in any kind of autobiography or subsequent interviews, just regretting all of this and saying, I I made a terrible mistake and proceeded to fall down 12 flights of stairs? He, he basically says that, like, in the, the book Hands of Stone, which is written mm -hmm. by Christ, Christian Judice, which is his, his, it's not an autobiography, but it's his biography as detailed by someone else um, that he's interviewed for. He says, like, he had no idea the impact doing what he did would have. And... Mm -hmm. You know, in hindsight, he probably wouldn't have done it that way. Sure. Based on what happened, obviously, hindsight being right. 2020. And uh, he said he said I know he said the one thing he felt most bad about was he felt bad about letting the people down. But when the people vandalized his mother's home, he said, fuck the people. Oh, yeah. And I agree with him there. Um, th there are lines you don't cross here. Here's what I'll say. I think in his mind, warped as it might have been at the time that Leonard's the one acting less than masculine. So if I quit, people will sympathize with me because I'm not fighting a real man. But boy, is not that not the perception. Yeah. I, I, again, Emmanuel Stewart and Mike Tyson kind of both felt the same way about that, thinking that that was his mentality. And, and even for us, like yeah. you're an actual clinical psychologist. I'm just an <laughs> armchair one. But we both kind of see that in his head like, Okay, he's here for a fight. He's not fighting a fight. He's doing a dance and a poke and all this stuff. Right. I'm not here for this. Fuck and, this. And the people will be on my side. And I think that's yeah. the critical element is if I – I mean, you're making split-second split decisions in there. So I don't know how much thought he really put into this. But, I'm saying, but honestly, if you look at it, I think he's contemplating this since the sixth round, to be honest. Sure. And so I'm thinking, you know, he he gets in there and he says, "Okay, everyone else has to see what I'm seeing, right?" I mean, we we I, I don't want to go off too much on a tangent here because we're we're just about done. But think people people act like that now. Like clearly, everyone thinks the way that I do. And so if I say this thing out loud, people will be with me. And suddenly, I'm I'm banned from Twitter. And <laughs> <laughs> what happened? I don't understand. So it's a common enough thing that happens in in humanity that I can that I don't I can forgive Roberto Duran for. Um, making a bad call uh, psychologically and, and publicly. Well, and, uh, and there's yeah. also, you know, and there, there's after the immediate, immediately after the fight, there's the talk where Roberto's like, yeah, I'm not fighting anymore. The hell with this. Mm -hmm. I'm retired. I got my money. And then that's very quickly squashed immediately. He doesn't yeah. talk about that. Ray is spoken to in a couple of days after the fight when Duran expresses interest in a rematch. And Ray said, no, I have no interest in fighting him again. So June 16th, 1983, on Durant's 32nd birthday, he knocks out undefeated Davey Moore in the eighth round to win the WBA Junior Middleweight Championship. And there was rejoicing in the streets. Durant and Leonard well, will, will meet a third time in December of 1989, almost 10 years later. But that's a story for another day. Give you the last and word. And so is Durant and Davey Moore and who celebrated with Durant in that fight. But um, <laughs> yeah, there's the – but again, I want to underscore kind of at this point the – Leonard refusal to give a rematch. 
And people can say, oh, well, you know, did he really deserve a rematch after he quit like that and whatever? This is the pattern that's being set by Ray right now, Mm -hmm. where if Ray has detractors historically in a certain sense, it's going to be because he tries to win fights at the bargaining table rather than in a ring and only do things that are advantageous to him when the right thing to do isn't always the advantageous thing. Look, I think among men, among competitive men, the fights are fought in the ring. However, privilege has its privileges. Yeah. And we're going to see that reality of life. Yep. All right. Um, So I've got the list here. I'm prepared now. (laughs) Uh, The next time we're doing this will be December 9th. It'll be chapter six. Leonard versus Hearns won just the one fight. Uh, February 3rd. We're going to go twice in February because uh, January is just a packed month for me. So February 3rd, we're doing um, Hagler versus Duran and Hearns versus Duran. And then February 17th, uh, we do Hagler versus Hearns. February, uh, March 24th, Hagler versus Leonard. April 21st, Leonard versus Hearns 2. And then our final chapter and uh, epilogue on this Four Kings of Boxing podcast is May 26th, Chapter 11, Leonard Duran 3. Uno mas. <sighs> Uno mas. <laughs> All right. Uh, in the meantime, we've dropped a lot of content this week. Um, we air, re-aired our Peanuts review. We reviewed Dune 1984. We uh, re-aired our Mummy trilogy review. We reviewed Halloween Kills last night. Me and Du Bois reviewed um, Ice Nine Kills, The Silver Scream 2, Welcome to Horrorwood. Plus, Pat Mullen, you can't get enough of him. And Chris Bailey, Chris Bailey, Chris Bailey and I talked about the match that could have been, should have been, would have been. Ric Flair versus Hulk Hogan. We also talked about WrestleMania 8 and 9. Spoilers, they sucked. Um, Tomorrow, we've got some re-airs for you. Uh, We've got um, Cradle of Filth, Hammer of the Witches, Dream Theater self-titled. I think there's an Unspoken Issues that's going to be available for you. And then we start the high kickoff to Paranormal Activity next of kin. We begin with our Paranormal Activity retrospective, parts one, um, it, movies one through four. Uh, first two air on Saturday the 23rd, second two the 24th. Um, we'll also, in theory, be doing a, a live stream of Jamel Herring versus Shakur Stevenson. Um, we'll be reviewing The Last Duel. Uh, we'll, there'll be a review for Crown Jewel, which goes on any minute now as we're recording this. Uh, myself and Sean Comer will be looking back at Donnie Darko because we need to tear that movie apart. Uh, there'll be a review of the new Dune, Dune Part 1, as we're now calling it, for 2021. Uh, we are closing out our Halloween-themed month on the Metal Hammer of Doom on the 27th with Halloween, uh, sorry, Halloween, self-titled, which came out earlier this year. Um, there'll be a re-airing of our Damn You Hollywood for Paranormal Activity, The Ghost Dimension. Plus, I took my kid back then to go see Gem and the Holograms. You'll find out which one was more terrifying. And then <laughs> finally... Spoilers! <laughs> finally, myself and Gavin Napier will uh, review the second season of Ted Lasso. All right, what do you got going on in your world, Pat? So if you haven't heard my plugs yesterday, you can hear me on the review for The Many Saints of Newark, A Soprano Story, uh, along with Mark Radlich and Robert Winfrey right here on the network. You can hear me on the re-air of Everyone Loves a Bad Guy featuring Tony Soprano and The Sopranos at Large with myself and Robert Winfrey from a few years back. Uh, You can hear me on 
a Venom round table because you can't get enough of Tom Hardy and his fantastic trapezius muscles. Um, I know I can't. There you go, Mark. Uh, you can hear us on that. I call it the Superior Venom Roundtable because it's a brand new day for this one moment in time. Some Spider-Man references for you. Um, you can hear me on the Mania of WrestleMania along with Mark and Chris Bailey, Chris Bailey, Chris Bailey, where we discuss two of the worst WrestleManias in history and a collective low point in the industry that caused Mark to walk away for a little while from wrestling. Goddamn uh, right. <laughs> uh, aside from that, you can kind of hear me on the archives here and everything else. You WrestleMania 8 and 9 are so bad, Brian Pillman has to pull a gun on Steve Austin to bring me back. Anyway. <laughs> Once again, firearm saved the day. A lesson to be learned. And that's where you can catch me at the moment. Um, you can follow <laughs> you can follow me here on the Four Kings of Boxing podcast. Uh, Mark and I are going to have to start talking about what we do after we close out this chapter soon, too. And uh, just for the record, I did watch the Showtime series, and it stunk. Yeah, we're doing a much better job of capturing the essence of what happened with these four men over a decade. So with that uh, self-aggrandizing plug out of the way. <laughs> um, Mark, what are you listening to with music these days, by the way? Good question, Pat. Very good question. Because I haven't heard I was... a good Metal Hammer of Doom, and you mentioned Halloween, but I want to know what you're listening to. Um, well, I'll tell you, Pat. Uh, this weekend, as a matter of fact, uh, as we're recording this tomorrow, a new bullet for my Valentine is dropping. New Cradle of Filth. Hey, a new Duran Duran is dropping. How about Wait that? Wait a minute. Duran yeah. Duran? Duran Duran. It's Where can I listen to this Duran Duran? You can listen to the new Duran Duran album, Future Past, and all the uh, previous Duran Duran albums, because who doesn't love Duran Duran, on Amazon Music Unlimited. And we happen to be giving away a free trial of the Amazon Music Unlimited service if you click the link in the description of this podcast get amazonmusic.com slash w2m network you uh you try it out for 30 days you like it you keep it you don't you cancel it no fuss no must no contracts it's as easy as pie um it's, free, it's for me because I'm hungry like the wolf incidentally Pat we are uh making available uh, through our w2mnet.com we uh, website old episodes that never were never on there before so they're all previously aired episodes but they've never been on the site before and i just put up a new one today because body counts in the house yes body count blood you can't get enough iced tea on svu no that is that is correct so you can check out our uh episodes on body count bloodlust and our episode on carnivore currently on w2m net.com and then you can listen to them using your free trial of the amazon music unlimited service and with that thank you pat uh if it wasn't for you guys i would never be i would never remember the plugs <laughs> be well be safe and behave